Uh, before we start, I uh, just want to encourage you. Uh, Tuesday night, Methodist men are going to be making some great pancakes. You can come enjoy uh, a meal where you don't have to cook, you don't have to do any dishes, and you get to be in fellowship with other people from your church and community. So it's a great deal for pancakes, great meal, $15 for your family. Can't beat that. And um, it is going to be a great time. And then Ash Wednesday is one of the most powerful services that we do every year. Uh, if you've never been, I would encourage you to come. Uh, if you're afraid of ashes, don't worry. We have a no ash zone. You won't get hit by any ash. I'm kidding. You don't have to participate uh, in any way you don't want to. We've never forced ashes upon anybody. I know the service has got a place in it called the imposition of ashes, but never harmed anyone uh, on that service. So don't be afraid. Come on out for that great service and um, you'll enjoy it. It's a very meaningful one. Today is a uh, standalone sermon. I'll start my next series next week. Uh, but today, just to uh, talk with you a little bit about something that I think is really important to us as a church and um, us as a Christian people. It's a very appropriate sermon because uh, it's February and February is all about love and king cake and Mardi Gras, right? Um, but uh, this idea of love, like I talked about last week, you know, what really changes hearts, what really helps lives improve and grow, it's, it's love, God's love in particular. And uh, we're going to be talking more and more about that as we move through the sermon. But uh, to start us off, I want to read for you a story that you have probably heard before if you grew up in church. Uh, it's a really fun one that's in, found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. And it is about a man whose friends bring them, brings him to Jesus. So it says, one day when Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and legal experts were sitting nearby. They had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. Some men were bringing a man who was paralyzed, lying on a cot. They wanted to carry him and place him before Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they took him up on the roof and lowered him, caught in all, through the roof tiles into the crowded room in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The legal experts and Pharisees began to mutter all along themselves, who is this who insults God? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus recognized what they were discussing and responded, why do you fill your minds with these questions? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk, but so that you will know that human one has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus now spoke to the man who was paralyzed. I say to you, get up, take your cot, and go home. Right away, the man stood up before them, picked up his cot, and went home, praising God. All the people were beside themselves with wonder. Filled with awe, they glorified God, saying, we've seen unimaginable things today. So it's a beautiful story, and like I said, you have probably heard it before. It's one of those sermons that if you grew up in the church, you probably remember hearing at least once in Sunday school or church or in another way or another, uh, because it's so uh, unique in that you have two friends who dearly care about their friend who is paralyzed, uh, and they take him to Jesus. And of course, the crowd gets in the way, so they find another way to get him there. You know, they, they're urgent about it. They they're passionate about their friend getting before Christ. And so they even cut a hole through the roof and lower the man in. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then there's even the fun part where Jesus tells those rotten Pharisees how the cow ate the cabbage, right? 
that uh, he tells them what's what, and then at the end of it, all the people are excited, and they're praising God, and they're in wonder about what has happened. You know, it's just such a great story, um, and um, I grew up loving it. Uh, what's fascinating to me is how this story is um, heard so differently today. I mean, that's, it's not as um, well-received as it used to be that uh, when you really begin to talk with people about what they believe, you know, and what they believe to be held true, in fact, this story has uh, a lot of problems to it. You just think about modern day, your friends, your family, uh, people that you talk to, coworkers. Here are a few things in the story that they're not going to like. One, uh, these two people forced their religion on this man, right? I know y'all are going to be like, no, 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 that's not what it is. But that's how many people look at it. You know, he's helpless, he's paralyzed, and they, he doesn't have an option. So they, they carry him, and they take him to somebody that he doesn't necessarily believe in, right? They believe in it, but he doesn't. Uh, there's that piece of it, and then along with that, there's the whole destruction of property thing, right? And cut a hole in this guy's roof. You're like, well, that's what's wrong with religion. They're always doing things like that. And then there's the whole issue of, of sin. Nobody believes in sin anymore. What's sin other than a judgmental way for religious people to make you feel bad, right? And you may not like to hear that, but as we look at the story, I think it's an important one, right, for people in our world today to reconsider and for us to reconsider because I think I'm correct in saying that that story would have a lot of problems in our world today. There's many times when we talk with our friends and neighbor about who Jesus is or why we go to church and they they kind of think of it as, you know, a little bit outdated perhaps, or that we are uh, not up with the times. And, um, you know, if you just ask a, a regular person about their faith, about their religion, um, it is not so much a matter or a time these days where people talk about, well, I'm a Methodist or I'm a Baptist. I've got an uncle of mine who I talked with. He grew up in church and you know, when I asked him about where he was going, he said, oh, we don't go anymore. I said, so you don't, you don't go to the Methodist church? Nope. You don't go to a Baptist church? Nope. What do you do? Well, not much of anything. Just left it there, you know. Uh, and more and more, uh, you hear people think about the idea of bringing people to Christ, sharing God's love with other people. Um, it is something that many people view as offensive, right? especially when you talk about sin. Um, now, it's not like they don't like the ideas. Many times, people who don't go to church, they, they like the ideas. I have a cousin friend of mine, and he, a uh, cousin of mine, and he said uh, very plainly, he said, I would really like the church if it wasn't for God. And he was being honest, you know, I would really like the church if it wasn't for God. And what was he saying? He was saying, I, I like the ideas of, of loving your neighbor. It's a good idea. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Even better idea, right? Uh, helping the poor, helping the needy, doing God's justice or doing justice. Those are all things that are near and dear to him. But the religious beliefs, the teachings are too much for him. And, and here's why. It's not a matter of being able to believe in the miracles of Jesus. It's not so much about believing in the resurrection. It's just that in his viewpoint, those teachings are what divide. 
And what does he mean by that? Well, I mean, if you talk about Jesus' teachings of loving, caring, and supporting neighbors, of making the world a better place, they'll agree with you. But if you talk about some of the things that Jesus taught about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a divisive statement. It means that people who don't know who Christ is, who don't follow him, are not included in the salvation that Jesus is bringing. That's a very divisive thing in many people's minds. Uh, and then across that, you could even say some of these teachings are divisive or wrong, even among the Christian communities, right? Like if you have grown up in the Roman Catholic Church, there's some teachings that they have that we don't have as a Protestant people as part of the Methodist movement, and that we don't go to church with them because we have a different belief. And my cousin and many people in our world would look at it and we go, why can't we just have a religionless Christianity? You know, just be nice, just be loving. Why be so concerned about teachings about miracle or resurrection or today is Transfiguration Sunday, right? Why, why are those things so important? Well, for me, it's a matter of what really helps people know that they are loved and that transforms their hearts, right? It's a matter of how do people really know that they're loved and what transforms their hearts. Let me just give you a quick example just from a standpoint of parenting, right? I mean, I can, I can tell my kids a set of teachings, like these are things that you need to do in order to be successful at life, right? You, you need to learn how to treat people in a way that is loving and kind. Those are things that are going to help you in your, your workplace, in your future. I could tell you that there are certain things that you can do that are going to be harmful for you in terms of uh, overconsumption of alcohol, drug addiction, that um, don't steal stuff because you'll get in jail, what have you. You know, I could teach all those things, but if I never explain why, you know, if I never take the time to say, I, I believe that people should be forgiven and treated with love and kindness because of my belief in God and what God has done for me, uh, then the moment that they leave my household, the moment they go to college or wherever they end up, right, all those restrictions just kind of fly out the window, right? Maybe they pick up some of it, but much of that they're going to say, why, why do I even need to follow through on that? I mean, that's good for dad, but... I don't know that this is necessarily anything that I need to pay attention to because I don't know that I believe those things as well. And to even push further at that argument of we shouldn't talk about our beliefs or we shouldn't teach those deep beliefs about God, um, if you ever have somebody in your life that's saying that, you know, like you need to be more tolerant, you need to be more respectful, you need to just accept people for who they are, they are stating a dogma and a teaching just the same way that I do, right? I mean, they hold at the core conviction of their life that you should not talk about your religious beliefs. That's their teaching. That's their dogma. It's the same thing that they're accusing me of, right? Church. It's the same thing. I mean, they're defeating their own argument. And so when you read this passage in the Bible in which these people are doing what they wholeheartedly believe is the best thing for their friend, it's a conviction about who God is and what they believe Jesus can do. It's not a matter of them saying that everything's equal or that we shouldn't you know, assume that this person wants to be freed from their sins. 
You know, it's that they love this man so much they had no choice but to bring him to Christ. So, now, one other piece of this. Uh, if you don't have a belief that supports your actions, then your statements about how people should live or what they should do all just comes down to because you say so, right? And I'm guilty as anybody in terms of parenting, right? Why do I need to do this? Because I told you so, right? But on the deeper matters of life, it has to fall into something greater than because somebody told me that, right? It can't just be a matter of because I believe so, or it's my conviction. Rather, there has to be something that undergirds those things. Here, let me, let me show this to you a little bit e easier. You know, uh, one of the, the things that we hear all the time in our culture is, you know, all lives matter, or they have like a particular statement of this group matters, right? Which is a good, good idea, good, good thought. But scientifically, you can't prove that. Do they really matter? I'm going to be sarcastic for just a moment, not just think I'm mean, right? Like, do they matter from a scientific standpoint? There's billions of people in this world. Odds are that person does not have a significant genetic contribution to the gene pool, right? Insignificant is what they are. They really do not matter in the grand scheme of us multiplying and growing, right? And um, that really, in reality, even though they might consider themselves special, maybe they have a million Instagram followers, they are just a speck on the giant windshield of eternity, right? Life will go on. They, they really have no scientific basis, no particular thing that says these people are special or that they matter. From a Christian standpoint, we say, no, they are precious. They were made in the image of God, that they cast the shadow that God created upon their hearts, that God formed them, created them, knew them before they were even made, that they are a people who God would deliver if they were in captivity, that God desires justice for them, that God loves them so dearly that he would give them his only son, even if it was just them. And we say that their life is sacred, that if God cared so much to give his only son that we could live in eternity with God, that life matters. Everybody's life matters. Everybody's life has significance. And we say that because we believe this is what God has said, what God has spoken. It's not just a matter of we think so or it could be or I'd like for it to be true, but rather there's something behind it far greater at work than what the average person can claim. I mean, that's, that's the difference that's there. It's not just a matter of we say so. So, when we think back to that story, they bring the, the man to Jesus. He's healed. And the, the question that I 
want to work on the rest of the, the after the day is that, not the day, for the time that I'm allowed, uh, is how would we possibly do that for others, right? How could we help the people in our lives know that great love of God in Jesus Christ? And to do that, I just want to read for you a scripture from the book of Romans. If you've got your Bibles, you can open them up to Romans chapter 1, verse 15. And this is Paul's words about how do we help people know who God is. It says, that's why I'm, a, I'm ready to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is God's own power for salvation to all who have faith in God, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. God's righteousness is being revealed in the gospel from faithfulness for faith, as it is written, the righteous person will live by faith. And uh, you can go back and read it. It's Romans chapter 115 sometime, but just to break it down for you, Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the very power of God. And I wanted to share that verse with you because in conversations that I've had with many people in this church and many people in our community, one of their fears and one of their frustrations is the question of, I have no idea how to help my grandkids know about God's love, or my kids, or my neighbor, or my coworker. And they're like, I'm, I'm afraid of what they might think of me. I'm afraid of what they might say. I don't want to be a problem in the workplace. I don't want to cause problems in my family. I don't want to be somebody who is a troublemaker. And um, how do we how do I possibly do something that would help them to know God's love in Jesus Christ? And, and in this verse, you, you find something really, really important. You find Paul saying a couple things. He says, I'm not ashamed, right? He's not fearful. He's bold. He is willing to take some risk when it comes to sharing the gospel. And, and here's why. He says, because the gospel is the very power of God. It's the very power of God. So those of you who feel powerless, who feel like you cannot do anything about the people in your life who don't know God's love, then, then listen carefully. He's saying, here's the power. It's not within us. He's saying, here's the power. And it's the same word that was used to build the word dynamite. He's saying it's that dynamic. It's that powerful. It's that explosive. It has the capacity to do something far greater than what you and I could do, Right? And he's saying, I'm not ashamed of it because why? Because it works, because it helps, because it heals, because it saves. He's saying and it's, it is explosive, it, it changes lives. And what's the good news? He's saying, in Jesus Christ, God was saving the world. He's saying, because of his steadfast love for us, his mercy for us, his care for us, because we matter. He's saying, that is the great news that the world needs to hear. I'm not going to bore you with, you know, eight ways to share the good news of Jesus Christ. When we love something, we find a way to tell people about it. When we know that it works, we're going to tell somebody about it. If you know me and we have a conversation, some things that you and I are, you can count on we're going to talk about. My daughters, I love them to pieces. My wife, she's awesome. Coffee, it's amazing, right? The New Orleans Saints, because they're near and dear to my heart, right? And God, because he changed my life. 
And I can do that with conviction and passion. I don't have to have an eloquent 80-point strategy for doing so. I can simply say, here's what works so wonderfully for me. Here's the good news as I have experienced it. And there's parts of the gospel that I may never quite understand until I stand in front of Jesus and go, hey, what did you mean by this? But I know enough for it to have had a huge impact on my life and that I've been able to help others experience that as well, all because I know what it can do, how explosive it is, how powerful it is, that it's far better than anything that you and I have ever thought up. It's far better than tolerance. It's far better than respecting each other. It's, it's so much better than that. It's love. Love, unconditional and powerful and dynamic and able to change the world. And so I, I need your help. And one of the things I just want to lift up to you, maybe you're afraid, maybe you're scared, maybe you're concerned about what this all look like, and a few things. One, you've got to remember the book of Romans was written to people in Rome. And if you know Paul's history from the book of Acts, it didn't go well for Paul in Rome. In fact, that's where Paul died. Right? And Paul... And his journey to Rome was shipwrecked, he was bitten by snakes, he was hated, he was reviled, he was beaten, he was, you know, ridiculed in every form and fashion, imprisoned and then beheaded. And the bottom line question you've got to ask yourself is why? Why? Because Paul said, this is what can make a difference in the world. This is what can change the hearts and the lives of man, to know God's love in Jesus Christ. And he wasn't afraid, he wasn't fearful. Instead, he said, this is what I have to do. This is what I have to do. I don't have to cut a hole in the roof. I don't have to, to do any of that. I have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world that I'm a part of. And so I, I would love to invite you, or I'm going to invite you, to participate in that. And, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to just think about, you know, the title of the sermon is My One. Who's that one person in your life that needs to know God's love? And, and I didn't say that needs to know that they're doing something wrong or, or needs to know some teaching in the Bible. Who, who needs to know God's love in your life? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's your friend. Maybe it's a kid or a grandkid or a neighbor or a coworker. You and I can probably all think of somebody. Just one person. And I want you to just let go of the fear that you are having in your life. You're like, okay, well, here's where Rick's going to really mess things up. No. I, I want you to just look around for a minute and, and see the other people that are here. Each of them has one person in their life that they know needs to know the love of God in Jesus Christ. Each of them. And together, what we're going to do from now until roughly Easter is to pray for each other's person, for their one. And maybe it's a spouse, or, or maybe they're just praying for themselves. But that, we are going to work on that together as a church. And the, in a moment, the ushers are going to hand you a piece of paper. And what I would love for you to do is to write down their name, or write down their initials, or their nickname, or some way that you identify and say, that's the one person who 
needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They need to hear about God's mercy and about God's love and about God's forgiveness. They, They need that. And over the next 40 days or so between now and when we get to Easter, I want you to pray for them and pray for the other people that people are going to be writing down. And after you have written down, the ushers are going to go ahead and hand out the pieces of paper now. Uh, After you've written that down, I'm going to invite you to come forward and place them upon this cross. Okay? And over the next weeks or so, we're going to keep praying for them and keep praying for them. Um, And in terms of just how does this all happen? Well, for me, one of the most helpful things that I have done is begin to listen for the word not in people's lives. Not. N-O-T. And it's the words of, how are things? Not good. How's your life? It's not together. Or even, I'm not from here. I'm not from this town. And then all you have to say is, how can I pray for you? And I would love for you to come to church. How can I pray for you? And I would love for you to come to church. And that we lift up those people in each other's lives and we trust in the dynamic power of the good news of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in this time, as we pause for just a moment, we want to give you thanks that you love us so dearly, that you care for us, for the way that that has changed our hearts and our lives and helped us to be people who can love our neighbors and serve and and do the things that you have called us to do. Apart from your love, Lord, we could not do it. So we thank you for what you have done in our lives. And gracious God, we lift up to you now those people whose names we are writing on these slips of paper. Uh, They matter to you. They are dear to you. You love them. You would give your all for their salvation, and you have. And we pray that in the weeks to come that you would speak into their hearts and remind them of the steadfast love that you have for them. And Lord, if you would like to use us to be people who are inviting or encouraging or are sharing this good news, then Lord, help us to do so. It may cause us to be a little afraid or a little concerned, Lord, but we know that they are worth it and that you will honor your promises about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all these things, Lord, we pray and ask in Jesus' name.